are tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. Today's podcast is a special event. Every fifth Sunday, we take a seat and let RT's youth and kids take over service. And for the last year, we've been blessed to see them lead us in worship with song, dance, puppet shows, and videos. And now, for the very first time, the youth have delivered the word as well. So, with the first YK Sunday message delivered by two teens, here are Miss Taylor Wyndham, followed by Noah Keene. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> How is everyone this morning so far? Are you guys enjoying the program? Okay. Well, today I will be bringing you um, a short sermon about walking in the Spirit. So I will be talking from Galatians 5.16 and 5.25, which says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This I say then, Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But basically, on a daily basis, whether you're a growing Christian or a Christian that's already higher than some other people in your walk with God, we still ask ourselves every day, what does walking in the spirit still mean? Because some of us still need assurance. This means that we should walk out of our bodies, get out of our flesh, and walk with the spirit, which basically means that the spirit is in charge of the body. But then again, to be born again also means that this is another process that we need to take to be born in the spirit as well. But to be born in the spirit again means the spirit that God creates for us to make something new inside of us. Again, what this means is that he takes out the heart of stone and puts a new one in us. He puts a heart in us that wants to trust and follow God. And for a more spiritual meaning, the Holy Spirit establishes himself as a new ruling principle in our lives. Which means that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. But still, some of us still don't understand that this is an exercise of faith. This is a practice. And if you don't follow it, you'll go on a roller coaster of emotions from one emotional experience to the next. You'll be living most of your life as a worldly Christian trying trying to control what should happen, and you'll end up frustrated and fruitless. But the bad thing about when we control our own lives is that we end up desperate for a change. We end up desperate, and we, we look for things that should be done right when we want and need them. This causes us to indulge in our carnal desires, which makes us not stand out from the rest of the world. We end up worrying. We think about what God can't handle. We get impatient. We think God's not fixing our struggles on time. And then we give up. We let ourselves get defeated. We give in and consume ourselves in stress because we control what should have happened. But when we control what should have happened, we get a different outcome. We miss out on our blessings from God because we want it to be selfish. 
Then we wonder why God's good things don't necessarily come easy to us or come naturally to us when we want them and need them. Which leads us to another emotional roller coaster in our life. Just because we weren't trusting, we weren't being patient, and we weren't believing. But to avoid this emotional roller coaster of a worldly Christian, we can walk with God in four steps. We can continually ask ourselves where we are on this little track of trying to get to know him for ourselves. The first step is conviction, which is needing to get right with God. Know that you are guilty of something, but God gives you a choice of life and death. Second is repentance. It's just being raw, honest with God. Be upfront with what you need God to handle because don't, don't let anything be held back by what you think he doesn't know because God knows everything. The third step is having a teachable heart. Keep what we've attained in ourselves and in him and actually engage with God and other people on a daily basis. The last step is intercession, which is living in a place of open dialogue with God and other people. This really, can, this really um, implies that we should consider taking the next three words into consideration, which is negotiation, mediation, and conciliation. Do it on the behalf of God's part too. Don't just leave it completely up to God to handle all your struggles by yourself because he needs you too. See, with these four steps, only two of them really, really, really matters. Conviction is what draws us to God, but intercession is what keeps us before God. And as long as we have a spiritual principle and a fundamental truth and the Holy Spirit that creates the spiritual way, and if we continue to seek God in this spiritual way, we will be okay. Thank you. Okay, that was awesome. Come on. Woo! That was awesome. Amen. All right. Um, our second and last but not least person will be coming up. Noah Keen in the house. All right, Noah. Lord. When I was presented with this idea of uh, doing a miniature sermon about walking in the spirit, uh, my mind jumped to the uh, little guide God gave us about walking in the spirit, the fruits of the spirit. But uh, through prayer and talking with my pastoral mentor, I, I got the idea, you know, this is probably not going to be an eight-minute thing if I talk about all of them. So um, I wanted to zone in on not only a fruit of the Spirit, but what I think is the very base of the Bible, love. 
And you can't talk about love without really going to the one chapter that God designated specifically about love, 1 Corinthians 13. I want to focus on a couple of verses. Uh, let's start with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. I am reading from the NIV version. Chapter 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clang cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. It's a, it's a terrible irony that, you know, I've heard criticisms of the Bible, and I think the one consistent one I've heard is, well, even though this book's supposed to be all about love, a lot of his followers seem to be pretty hateful, which is, we laugh at it, but it's kind of funny, but it's not funny because it's true. <clears throat> but, um, so, I mean, how do we love more? I want to also focus on some uh, further down verses later, but, I think we can gain something from these first couple of verses. What it's trying to say, I think, is love is nothing, with, love is meaningless without a measure of kindness, of gentleness, and of self-control. To put it in an example, let's just say I have an overweight friend. This is all hypothetical. There's, you know, not like the few pound, like spare tire overweight, but like dangerously overweight, and you know, this guy, so I would not like to see him in a box. So um, I could, I stage intervention. Let me ask you something. Would this intervention work if I walked up to the guy and just started yelling at him, telling, he need, telling him he needed to lose weight, you know, that he was going to die, that I don't want to see him walking down the street looking like a whale? No! You know, that is, it's love in name only. I need some sort of gentleness, kindness, some kind of filter, or else it's not gonna mean nothing. And our love also needs to be active. You know, I can yell at him only once about how he needs to lose weight, but unless I, you know, suggest he go to Weight Watchers, maybe take a rep or regimen with him to help him lose some of the weight, get him to eat healthier, it's not going to mean anything. Got another verse, don't need to turn here, but that's sort of more relevant, give me one second. First John 3.18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So again, I can tell this guy to lose weight all he wants, but until I actually do something about it, or he does something about it, he's just gonna still be there. So, but uh, going further down in 1 Corinthians 13, there are a few points I wanna talk about. Love is not proud. I think there's another problem we have with the church. You know, it's an old stereotype, but again, it's kind of true. You know, you know the, say, the proud, redeemed man walking down the street with the Bible under his, his, under his armpit. Man, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. You know, I think with, with some branches of atheism, there is a certain smugness, but I think there's also a certain smugness with certain branches of Christianity. And that's not something we need. Love is not self-seeking or not manipulative. You know, you go on social media and you see 
all these people, a lot of people just talking about all these conditions that they need for the ideal relationship, you know? My boo needs to give me flowers every week and he needs to tell me that I'm never wrong. No, he doesn't. Let me tell you something. If your love has a price tag, it's not love. Love keeps no records of wrongs, or in other words, it's not vindictive. I need to put that down on a t-shirt. That's what I need to work on. Um, <clears throat> let me put it this way. If Jesus didn't hold the grudge, why should you? If anybody had a right to hold the grudge, it was Jesus. Jesus did not die oblivious. When he was on the cross, he did, he, he did not die unaware. He knew that down the road, there would be people like Bertrand Russell and Richard Dawkins, people who would not only actively oppose him, but say he was in the wrong. He knew that there would be people like the KKK, the LRA, people who would do evil in his name. But he died anyway. So what is the solution to this love problem? Unconditional love. Jesus did not exempt anyone when he was on the cross. He was not on the cross hanging there, and he did not say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Except the atheists, they know what they're doing. He did not, he did not die on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Except the Muslims, they chose not to follow me. He didn't die saying, Father, forgive them for what they do. Except the agnostics, they, they, they're, they're kind of on the, the, the fence. He died for everyone. So why shouldn't we? I'm just gonna give you a few more verses and then I'll be done. First John 4, 7. I didn't know that First John had so much about love. I, this is why I need to read more. Uh, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. Can we love some more? Thanks for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit.
Our community at Revival Tabernacle aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at www.revivaltab.org.